Welcome to worship. We're so glad you're here with us today. If this is your first time worshiping with us, we have a special gift for you. If you'll check in online and give us your email address, this coming week, we will send you a gift card for your favorite peppermint mocha latte or whatever drink you prefer. And we thank you so much for being here with us today. This is week three of our Advent series, Prepare the Way. Pastor Spencer has a great message just ahead for us all. Speaking of the message, we have sermon discussion questions and more online at schweitzer.church next. There you can follow along with the sermon and you can find more ways that you can connect with Schweitzer Church. Next up is Stephanie, who will tell us more ways that we can get involved with things here at Schweitzer Church. Hi, welcome to Schweitzer. I'm Stephanie. Christmas is almost here, and to get you in the mood, we're inviting you and your family to a very special movie night on Friday, December 16th at 6.30 in the Student Center. We're gonna be showing The Grinch, and we'll have free popcorn and lots of treats, and it's gonna be a great time. Please stop by the Blue Booth to sign up, or you can sign up online so that we're sure we have enough snacks prepared. Next Sunday, December 18th, our Schweitzer Choir will be sharing their special Christmas cantata with us at both the 9 and 10.30 a.m. services. You can attend either service and hear the same great music. And even if you're traveling, you can listen to our live stream online at schweitzer.live or on our YouTube channel. Next Sunday will be the last Sunday of the year for our regular service times. Here's what's coming up. On Christmas Eve, we'll have our candlelight services at 3, 5, and 7 p.m. Then on Christmas Day, we'll be online only with a very special Christmas message. You can watch this anytime or chat with us live at 9 and 10.30 a.m. On New Year's Day, we will have one in-person service and one hosted online service, both of these happening at 10 a.m. You can find out more information at schweitzer.church. There is a lot happening to prepare for this Christmas at Schweitzer. And with that, we are in need of a few more elves to help us put together a special Christmas gift for our guests on Christmas Eve. So we're having a Christmas prep party on Tuesday, December 13th from 5 to 7 p.m. It's for all ages, and you can join us here in the Schweitzer offices and enjoy some pizza while you help us to put together these gifts. If you have any questions, you can reach out to our Director of Connections by email at corey at schweitzer.church. Thanks again for celebrating the season with us, and we also encourage you to stop by the Blue Booth today and grab an invite or share a social media invite with a friend for one of our upcoming services. Merry Christmas, we are so glad you're here. Let's continue with worship. Thanks Stephanie for letting us know what's going on at Schweitzer. As always, if you'd like to be involved in some of these events or activities, we invite you to go online and check out what's going on at schweitzer.church next. If you're joining us live today, we invite you to join in the chat. Say hello to your friends and give us your insights. If you're in need of prayer today, we have someone waiting for you. Just press that prayer button and we'll be right with you. And now 
Let's continue in worship.
As we come to this time of prayer, I invite you to join me as we go to our Father. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for who you are, for your power and your glory that you share with us on a daily basis. And God, during this time of Advent, as we prepare, help us to find that one place in our heart that is open to you. We get so overwhelmed with the season and the preparations and the gifts and the, the special things that we do that we forget to let you in. So God, we ask you to come into our hearts to be part of this celebration and this preparation that we're making this season. We thank you for being there for us, for waiting for us to open that door. And now, God, we pray the prayer that you taught us together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, we've been sharing during Advent about the Flourish organization. It's an outreach ministry developed by Schweitzer Church. There are many facets to this ministry and we care about our community through Flourish. Today, we wanna to especially highlight the Coach House ministry. Here's a video. Life last year around this time was very chaotic for me. I was um, uh, dabbling in my addiction and I think I just lost, I had a job that I'd started at the beginning of last year and I just lost my job. I had my own place and I was just, um, I was just partying. People were coming in and out and um, it was a really, really rough time for me, really. Um, I've been a heroin addict for over a decade, you know, and um, I'd overdosed a couple of times and it just, it was a really low, low point in my life. I had a friend that was actually at the coach house, her name was Keisha, and she, you know, she had mentioned it to me and kind of mentioned what the qualifications were and, you know, some of the stuff that we had to do and I was like, man, you know, I really need to, I need to try to do that. So. Um, I was still using then, and on my application, I, of course, I, I was honest, and I was like, yes, I'm using still, <laughs> you know, and she was like, so she denied me, and I was like, oh, man, maybe I shouldn't have told her that, of course, just in my addiction, like, I should have lied, but it wasn't the right time for me to come anyway, but um, then finally, I went to a detox in um, February, 
And after I got out of detox, that's when I met Becca and she was like, okay, I can see that you have been through, through some things and why it wasn't the right time for you before. I think that you're, you know, that you're probably ready now. And I was like, yeah, I think I am too. And so, yeah, they accepted me and yeah. So if you can't tell, I'm pregnant. So um, finding out that I was pregnant while I was in the coach house, it was a surprise. Yeah, it definitely wasn't planned, but um, I'm absolutely glad that I was in a program and at the coach house when I found out because like in contrast to last year, if I would have found out at the end of last year that I was pregnant, I mean, I mean, I just like look at the homeless people on the streets and I, I just got kicked out of my apartment, you know, and I just think like, that could have been me, you know? As the Coach House Administrator, um, it's a great honor to get to walk alongside these ladies who have decided that they want a different life for themselves than they've had before. Um, what makes us really unique in a lot of recovery and transitional living programs is that our plan for each lady is individualized. They don't, there isn't a one size fits all package and they don't all need the same things. And so our goal is to support them and walk alongside them in whatever it takes to help them reach their goals to have a better life. I've overcome a lot of adversity in my own life and most people have a story like that. And so to be able to help other people with things that might have been a struggle in your life or certainly things that you can relate to struggling with. Um, it, it feels like you're giving back and it's kind of coming full circle. That is the beauty to ashes story. That's the promise of restoration that God has for all of us, that he heals us and then he helps us heal other people through our experiences too. I think faith is a big part of I think it's a big part of recovery. I mean, you don't have to have it, of course, to you know, be in recovery or whatever, but um, uh, just really learning to step back and let God take control in a lot of situations is, it's, um, it's challenging, of course, because you, know, you don't really know how to just give it all to Him sometimes, but you just have to and just pray for the best. And I mean, I just, I pray all the time. I wouldn't say they're like pleads, but they're just like, just ask him to walk with me, really. Our lives have been transformed by the ministries of Flourish. We love seeing how God is working through Flourish to impact our community. What a blessing. We want to remind you that you can go online at schweitzer.church/give to support this ministry and many other things that are happening in and through Schweitzer Church. And now, here's Pastor Spencer with our message.
Well, welcome today. My name is Spencer. So glad that you're here with us. Today is part three of our series called Prepare the Way. This is our, our last week in this series because next week we'll have our Christmas uh, music Sunday, our cantata, our choir orchestra will be with us. Incredible Sunday. And then the Saturday after that is Christmas Eve. These are great opportunities to invite people, whether online or in person. I will have options for you and these great, great times to, to celebrate Christmas and to, and to bring others along with us. Uh, this series, Prepare the Way, has been exploring John the Baptist, which is the traditional reading for Advent. And the whole message of John the Baptist is get ready. And that's why we read this during Advent is because it's a, it's a message of, of getting ready for the coming of Jesus. And, and Advent is not just about the coming of Jesus as a baby, but also how we are reminded that he is coming again as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so we uh, read John the Baptist to remind ourselves that it's, it's time to get ready, to get ourselves ready um, for the coming of the Lord. Now, fair warning to you, a little heads up. Uh, when you read John the Baptist, if you're not familiar with him, uh, he's, he's a little hard to take. He comes on pretty hard. He's, uh, he's harsh. He's, he's uh, got some, some really hard truths to hear. John the Baptist is not the guy you go to for a pick-me-up or a word of encouragement. He is somebody who um, brings hard truth. Uh, and that's maybe why we go to him for Advent is because we need to be reminded so strongly to, to get ready. So uh, just fair warning, this doesn't feel like Christmas. There's no wise men or shepherds or angels, anything like that. But John the Baptist speaks these, these words of truth. And, and this is the, the traditional reading that the church has said that, that we point to for Advent. So um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 3 today. And we're going to start where we started week one of this series. Then we're going to add in a little bit more that we read last week. And then finally, we'll get to this new last section to wrap up the series. And I, I want to read all of this so that we can get a full picture of this message of John the Baptist um, from Luke chapter three. And so here's how it goes. Luke three, starting in verse one. It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis and Licinius Tetrarch of Abilene. There's a lot of names there. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of other words of Isaiah the prophet. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. This is what we read week one. That prophecy is just absolutely incredible, isn't it? It's just so beautiful. What is it that the Lord is doing for us? Is He is seeking to save us. He's coming after us to save us. He's going to remove the obstacles. Where there's mountains, He's going to flatten them. And valleys, He's going to make them rise up. And the crooked roads are made straight. It's just absolutely beautiful. And all of it leads to that last line that all people will see God's salvation. Now this prophecy is about John the Baptist. So as we keep reading here, we see how this prophecy is lived out, what it means practically um, for John to prepare the way um, for the Lord. Verse 7, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree and every tree that does not bear good fruit, produce good fruit, will be cut down and thrown into the fire. 
What should we do then? The crowds asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. And then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. And that was week two. Now, as we move into this last section, you may be wondering, does John kind of lighten up a little bit for this last section? And the answer is no. He he keeps the heat on. He's going to have a harsh message. So here's the last section as we wrap up this teaching on John the Baptist. Verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. Now that word Messiah, it's a Hebrew word and it means anointed one or or set apart one. That's kind of the practice of anointing was to set people apart. And if you think about the Messiah in the scope of the Bible, it turns out there was actually quite a few people who were called Messiahs, but like lowercase m. Not the Messiah, but people who were set apart by God to do his work. Um, Leaders and kings and judges were sometimes called these anointed ones. They were set apart for God's work. And so you think about people like Moses or Joshua, David, Deborah, these people like Samuel, who, who led the people of Israel. Oftentimes they led them in times of oppression or, or times where the people needed to be rescued from, from adversaries. And, and these people were often called, um, anointed ones or messiahs, again, lowercase m. But as you move through the Bible and you come especially to the prophets, you start to see that the, the idea of the messiah is, is spoken of differently. Like there's a, there's a messiah of a different sort that the prophets begin to, to speak to. Not somebody who's just going to do what Moses did or Joshua or, or David or one of these other great leaders did, but somebody who's going to do something even bigger and, and, and bolder than that. And, and this is not just another messiah. It's like the Messiah, right? All capital letters, the Messiah, the one that everyone else is pointing to as an example. He is the one who's going to be the ultimate Messiah, the one who is set apart, anointed by God to save, to lead, to heal, to redeem God's people. Now, the prophets, as they spoke about the Messiah, they did so um, from usually a place of occupation or, or oppression from other enemies, uh, for 500 years, the, the Jewish people were, were occupied by other people. Uh, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and then finally with the first century when we're reading this in Luke 3, it's the Romans. In fact, in Luke 3, as we started, do you remember that long list of names? Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, Herod, all these people were named. Philip were named, the, the high priests were named. And, and what we're reading there was, was a list of names for really two reasons. One was to ground um, this reading in history because the message and the work of Jesus happened in a real place in a real time with real people. But also that opening line was a political statement. It was a statement about who was occupying and oppressing the Jewish people at the time. And we see here this long list of Roman rulers who are imposing their will on the Jewish people. And so you have this This question starting to burn in the people's minds, their hearts, is John, is he possibly the Messiah? And that question, you know, has a spiritual component to it for sure. But but more than that, that question is a political question. Is John the Messiah is the question, is John the one who's going to lead us? Is John the one who's going to raise an army? Is John the one who's going to start a revolution? Is John the one who's going to overthrow the Romans? Is John the one who's going to lead us to freedom? Is he the one who's going to start a new Jewish state? It's a, 
It's a political question that they're wondering. And so as this, this question is buzzing, you know, in the crowd and it's in their hearts, they're wondering, is, is this the one that we've been promised? And their expectation is that it's going to be a political Messiah. Well, John's going to answer them very harshly because everything John says is harsh. And so here's what he says to them. This is verse 16. John answered them all. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. So John starts and he's like, am I the Messiah? No, 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 no. You're, you're totally missing it. I, you know, I've come to do this ministry to prepare you. So I baptize you with water because we're symbolizing this change that's coming um, into our lives, this washing away of sin and this new life that we're going to begin to live in through, uh, through repentance. So I baptize you with water, but the one who's coming, like we're not even in the same category. And, and we're, as, we're as different as, as, as night is from day. We're as different as, as from, from water is from, I don't know, something like fire, which is what John says next. So I baptize you with water, but the one who is categorically different than me, he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. What a great line. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Great line. But what does that mean? Well, the word baptize, you know what it literally means is to be immersed. It means to be covered. And so you have this incredible picture here. of What does the Messiah do? What is Jesus going to do? He's going to somehow cover us, immerse us in the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, when I read that line that he will baptize us in the Holy Spirit and fire, I, I can't help but, of course, think of another book that Luke wrote, because Luke wrote two books in the Bible, the Gospel of Luke, and then he also wrote the follow-up to that, part two, which is called Acts. And Acts tells the story of what happens to the first Christians after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after Jesus ascends back to heaven. How is it that the first Christians went from being this insignificant, small group of people that somehow change the world. Like, how did that happen? And Acts tells the story of these first Christians of what, and what happened to them. And in Acts chapter 2, there's this scene that, that unfolds for us that you begin to see the words of John the Baptist fulfilled because um, all of the Christians in the whole world at that point are, are all together. Jesus has been crucified, resurrected. He's ascended back to heaven. And he tells his followers to wait in Jerusalem for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. Now, I'm sure they have no idea what that means. I mean, I, I wouldn't. Would you have any idea what that means? So they have, I, I have no idea what that means, but they've told, been told to wait in Jerusalem for something to happen. And as they're waiting in Jerusalem, the Bible says that they're all together in one place. They're in this upper room and this incredible thing happens where they're baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. Here's how it goes. Acts 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they're all together in one place, waiting. Jesus told them to wait. What are we waiting for? I don't really know, but they're all there waiting. And then verse two, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And it says all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Incredible, incredible thing. Now, you know what's even more amazing, though, about this, this experience? Is that after this, this baptism of the Spirit and fire, these Christians, these very first Christians, they leave this room and they go out into the streets 
And they begin to tell people in this gift of tongues, these other languages that they're speaking, the, the glory of God that Jesus is alive. Now that may not seem all that remarkable, but you got to remember the timing. So this miracle takes place six weeks or so after Jesus is um, brutally tortured and crucified. And so six weeks ago, Jesus was arrested, he was tortured, he was crucified. And what did all of the, uh, his followers do at that time? They all ran away. Peter, one of his best friends and chief disciples, what does he do? He denies that he even knows Jesus. And now, like six weeks, that's nothing. That's just, that's a short amount of time. Six weeks later, they're out in the streets and they're proclaiming the goodness of God. They're telling people that, that Jesus is alive, that he is the Lord, and that all who call on his name will be saved. Like, it's absolutely amazing the transformation that takes place in these people's lives. So if you want to know, what does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire? Well, Acts 2 is a great place to look because what you see is this incredible transformation and change that takes place in these people's lives. And that's what happens when we come in contact with the Messiah, is that our lives begin to change. So go back to Luke 3, and and this question is is bubbling up in these people's minds, and they're wondering, is John possibly the Messiah? And, And he's quick to point out, no, 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 no. Like, the thing that I'm doing, if you think that's special, what Jesus, the Messiah, is going to do is totally different because it's not just that he's going to symbolize the change that we all want to make in our life, like John is doing through baptism, but rather that Jesus can actually change you, that he can actually transform you. He can take, he can take uh, cowards and he can make them courageous like we see in Acts chapter 2. He can just transform our lives in totally different ways, and, and this is what he can do. And so I I think fire is a great way to describe the work of the Messiah because as you think about fire and what it does, you know, fire changes things. It changes properties. Solids become liquids, which become gas. Metals become refined and like things begin to change and meld and mold in all kinds of different ways. And as you think about the work of Jesus, this is what he does is he he changes us. And so as I think about the, the words of, of John the Baptist and how he starts to describe Jesus, I can't help but think, you know, sometimes we talk about Jesus as if he's all meek and mild. But when I hear John talk about Jesus, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this fire, I can't, I can't help but think that when John talks about Jesus, the guy he's describing, oh my goodness, he means business. Because the work of Jesus, what he's going to do in the world, it's like, it's like he's introducing fire where he is interested in change. He's interested in change and not, not just in a, in, a, in a particular way. He wants to change us. And through his power, the power of the Holy Spirit, this is what he does and this is what we're invited to. And so John, he's, he's pointing us towards this, this one who can change our lives in profound ways. Now he keeps going here and John, John's going to pick this back up because he's, he wants them to know and he's pointing them towards them, to, towards this, towards Jesus, who is the actual Messiah, the one who's going to change our lives. And then he, he wraps this up and he keeps going here. He says, verse 17, continuing this, this message here about the Holy Spirit and fire, he says, his, that is Jesus, the Messiah, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. So once again, we have this incredible picture of Jesus. 
Um, this time he's burning up the chaff, which is a common biblical metaphor where um, when you harvest wheat, you have to separate the wheat kernels from the chaff, which is the worthless part of the plant. And you do this so that you can find what is of value and what is productive and you separate it from what is unproductive and you burn that up with just unquenchable fire. Now, if you were keeping score at home, you should have noticed by now that we have read about fire three different times in Luke chapter three. When John talks about Jesus, he talks about fire three different times. First was the ax is at the root of the trees, ready to burn up the, the trees that don't bear fruit. And then we read about the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. And then, and then you read about this, this line of um, Jesus uh, burning up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. You just get this, this sense here, this, this overwhelming sense over and over and over again that, that Jesus, as he comes, he's coming to to bring this, this message of change and transformation and, and, and fire. And as I think about this, this way that, that John portrays Jesus, you know, I, I can't help but think it's so strange to me that these are the words that are the traditional reading of Advent. Because it doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, John's message is so harsh. It, it, it's so blunt. It's uncomfortable. I mean, he's talking about Jesus bringing fire. There's these references to judgment that's baked into this. And I just, I can't help but read these and be like, I just, I'm amazed that these became the words that the church throughout the centuries have said, this is the traditional reading of Advent. Let's point ourselves to this during the Advent season. And I just, I find that so strange because, you know, when it comes to Advent, wouldn't you much rather read like encouraging kinds of Bible verses? Like, I don't know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son or Jesus talking about how my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you, or something, I don't know, about shepherds or angels or wise men or something like that. I mean, that's usually what we're drawn to when it comes to Advent. And yet, for, for whatever reason, the church throughout the centuries has said, you know, when it comes to Advent, let's read these harsh, blunt, uncomfortable words. Why do you think that is? Well, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but you have to know, I have, I have a theory. And my theory is this. That Advent is all about getting ready. It's getting ready for the coming of Jesus. And when it comes to Jesus, you just can't mince your words. You can't overstate how important he is. And you, and you can't just leave it to chance and hope that people get it. Because if you miss Jesus in your life, then you miss everything. And so John has this, this message of, it's like he's ringing a bell and he's banging on the cymbals. He's trying to get our attention to wake up to the reality of who Jesus is because it's just that important. Now for John in his day, the, the question was, is John the Messiah, the question was this, this question of false messiahs. Uh, there was this temptation to think that the Messiah was going to be a political savior. And just between you and me, you know, honest talk here, we, we got to acknowledge that that's still a temptation. That temptation is alive and well today where we begin to look at the political process, our political party, elected leaders, and begin to think that our hope and our salvation is in that process, which is a false Messiah. But, but John is, is confronting them because he's trying to wake them up that this false Messiah, it will lead you astray. And there's all kinds of ways that we look for false messiahs, these, these false saviors that we present into our lives and we think are going to save us. But you know what? I, I have this sneaking suspicion that for most of us, the, the real risk that we run in missing Jesus isn't something like a false Messiah. I, 
I tend to think that the real risk that you and I run in missing Jesus is much, much simpler. And that's not to say that false messiahs aren't real and they aren't true and there's not these big things that lead us astray where we begin to think that those are our saviors. That's not what I'm saying at all, but I just, I tend to think, I have this sneaking suspicion that for most of us, when it comes to missing the presence of Jesus, the Messiah in our lives, you know what? We're, we're really tempted with much simpler things than false messiahs. Do you remember that old line from C.S. Lewis, the screw tape letters? I've quoted it to you before just because I, I think it has so much insight. But C.S. Lewis writes this, and I just, I think there's so much wisdom in this. He says, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. One more time. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. There's so much wisdom in this because more often than not, I think we run the risk of missing Jesus, not because of some big obvious sin or some false Messiah, but because rather... We run the risk of Jesus, missing Jesus for far simpler reasons. I think about it like this. How much time have you spent this month getting ready for Christmas? Now, I don't mean that in a judgmental way because I love Christmas. I'm not, I'm not a Grinch. I've been listening to Christmas music. I was actually pushing my family to decorate for Christmas before Thanksgiving, so don't judge me. But how much time have you spent you know, getting ready for Christmas. I mean, there's a ton to do. There's decorations and presents and food and parties and cookies and, and, and uh, lights. And the you know, list goes on and on and on and all. All these things that we do this month to get ready for Christmas. So think about that. You know, in your life, how much time have you spent getting ready for Christmas? Well, follow-up question. How much time have you spent getting ready for Christ? When I was in my 20s, I had this, uh, this mentor who used to talk a lot about making sure that I put first things first in my life. And he talked to me about this a lot because there is this temptation, and it's true for all of us, this temptation to um, neglect the important things for things that don't actually matter. And so we begin to spend our time and our energy and our lives on things that are far less important, and we begin to fill our, our, our lives with these things. And before long, the things that we say are really important begin to slip down on the list of what we actually tend to and cultivate in our lives and put on our calendars. And so the really first things, the things that should be first in our lives begin to be second or third or fourth. And before long, you're spending all of your time or really you're spending your life on things that don't matter. And so you sacrifice, this happens so quickly and so easily, you sacrifice what's really important for things that don't matter. And this happens to all of us. And it's something that if we're not paying attention to, we begin to run the risk of missing the important things because we've put these unimportant things ahead of them. So here's some homework I got for you. This is uncomfortable homework, by the way. This is a John the Baptist kind of homework, the kind of homework that kind of chides you a little bit. It makes you uncomfortable. But here's, here's some homework if you're kind of wondering, well, am I putting unimportant things ahead of important things? And in, the, in that, am I miss, running the risk of missing Jesus? So here's, here's a little homework you could do that's uncomfortable. But get out your phone, open your settings, and look at your screen time report. What does that say about how you're spending your time? I have had so many people over the years tell me things like, Spencer, I don't have enough time in my day to read the Bible every day. 
I, I don't have enough time in my week to go to church on Sunday, to make that the thing that I do every week. I don't have enough time to be involved in a small group or to serve or to do this or that, that, that the Lord may, may call us to, to, to live. And that, that may be true. I mean, there are certainly times in life where we are stretched absolutely so thin, too thin really, through stressful things that maybe are even out of our control, that maybe we don't. But if you were to get out your phone and look at your screen time, what would your screen time say about how you actually spend your time? And are you actually spending your time on things that are important or are you letting unimportant things start to filter out so that you sacrifice what's important for it's actually not important at all. Or I think about it like this because this temptation comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. It's like, it's like you may think to yourself, you know what, man, my fantasy football team is in first place. I am crushing it. But you know what? Oh, I keep forgetting to reach out to my neighbor who's going through that divorce. And I know I keep should do it. I should do it. I should, I should call him and check in on him. But I just, I keep, I keep forgetting to do it because I'm distracted. Or it's like, it's like, you know what? Oh my gosh, I'm caught up on Yellowstone. I'm caught up on Andor. I'm caught up on Rings of Power, all these great shows. But you, yeah, you know what? I, I, I haven't had a, a chance in the last few weeks to connect with my wife. Or it's like, you know what? I got the kids the new PlayStation 5. We're going on a ski trip this winter, but I, I, I don't have anything to give to the church to support the work that God is doing through us. It's like in all kinds of ways, we sacrifice what's really important for things that don't matter. As I think about this temptation of missing Jesus, I can't help but think that the temptation to miss Jesus, it's much simpler and more subtle than just the false messiahs that are out there. This is temptations where we fill our lives with all kinds of things that in the end we miss what's really actually important. And so we come to this time of Advent where the tradition of the church is to look at these harsh, blunt, uncomfortable words that John the Baptist is, is, is telling us. He's ringing the bell trying to get our attention to wake up. And you know why I think we need to read these? Because we need to. Because the, the temptation to miss what really matters is that strong. And the worst thing that can happen is that you fill your life with all kinds of good things or all kinds of things, even good things. And in the end, you miss what really matters. Jesus, the Messiah. Let's pray together. So Father, today, uh, we hear these uncomfortable, hard words about that John gives us. Words of judgment, words of warning, words of waking us up. Because in reality, so many of us, we are distracted. Our schedules are tight. We are filling our lives with things that don't matter. We're putting screens in front of us or activities in front of us that aren't actually doing anything. And, and in this, we are neglecting a relationship with you. And so we hear the words of John the Baptist to wake up that what you offer us is a baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire, this transformation and change where we can live a different kind of life. And so, Father, today we want to come to you and first of all, confess. Confess that there are times where we put the important things in the back burner and we invest ourselves in things that aren't important. Would you forgive us for the ways that we have neglected to put first things first, to put you first, and call us and to seek after us that we might, we might be the kinds of people who seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And Lord, we thank you that, that what you offer us is so much better than we're going to get anywhere else. And so we want to come to you and experience the change and the transformation that you offer. 
I wanna pray for anyone here who, who's with us who, who doesn't know the hope of Jesus, the Messiah, his presence, his, his baptism, the change that he brings into our lives. And so with a simple prayer of faith, we just wanna pray that prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive me my sin and lead my life that I could follow you, know you, and serve you. God, you are so good to us. We thank you that you have given us the gift of your son, that we may have life, life abundant, and life eternal. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for being here with us today for worship. We're so glad you joined us. We want to thank the team that made this service possible. Especially, we want to thank Pastor Spencer for his powerful message. If you know someone who would benefit from hearing this message and seeing this worship service, we invite you to share it on social media. Thank you so much for doing that. And one more thing, next week's worship service is going to look a little different. We're going to be live streaming our Christmas cantata just for you. The services will happen at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. and you can watch them online or you can join us in person. It's gonna be a great Sunday of worship. We want you to be with us. Have a great week.
Desperate 